Hi, and welcome to Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Natasha Bieniek. She's only 32, but she's won the Win Prize for Landscape Painting, the Porsche Geach Memorial Award for Portrait Painting, and the Metro Art Award, and has been a five-time finalist in the Archibald Prize and a three-time finalist in the Doug Moran National Portrait Prize, amongst others. But what's amazing about Natasha's work is that it's small. Her incredibly detailed representational portrait of Wendy Whiteley in her famous garden was about 13 by 18 centimetres and was highly commended by the trustees in last year's Archibald Prize. Another of her finalist self-portraits in the Archibald Prize was only 4 by 5 centimetres, about the size of a matchbox. She is a master of the miniature. She's had six solo shows across Australia and overseas and many group shows. In fact, the National Portrait Gallery held an exhibition in 2014 called In the Flesh, where 14 of her miniature portraits were borrowed from private collections to be included in that show. Go to talkingwithpainters.com to see the works we talk about in our conversation and you'll also see some of Natasha's photos of her holding her works so you can really get a sense of the scale. But I must say, nothing beats seeing them in real life. I started by asking Natasha about her early years and her memories of art as a child. So I grew up in the Bayside suburbs of Melbourne, which is about 20 kilometres from the CBD. Um, I'm the youngest of three children. Um, my parents uh, weren't particularly arty when I was growing up or interested in art, so they both had a, uh, they both worked in healthcare. Um, my dad's actually a drug and alcohol counsellor, so he spends his day his days um, dealing with alcoholics and heroin addicts and bringing them back to good health. Um, mm. And my mother worked in administration at the Alfred Hospital for, for many years. So okay. not a particularly arty family, okay. but somehow the three of us ended up being all quite arty in our own way. My brother's a professional jazz musician. Oh, really? Yes. And um, my sister studied acting for many years and had her own uh, comedy troupe for a little while before she ended up doing um, primary education. And then I obviously oh. took interest in, in the visual arts. So we yeah. all ended up being quite arty. That's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so what do you remember sort of starting to draw or, or paint or anything when you were a kid? Yeah, well, I think creativity is born out of curiosity. And I spent a lot of my childhood drawing. Um, we had a lot of animals growing up. So we had chickens and um, budgies and guinea pigs and cats. And I spent a lot of my time drawing. Oh, okay. And it was pretty funny. Um, I used to rate the drawings. So in the bottom corner of each drawing, I'd write G or VG or VVG. And that <laughs> meant good, very good or very, very good. <laughs> So none of them were bad. <laughs> so, yeah, that was just a funny the thing that I did. The inner critic was doing yeah. very well in yeah. those days. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of confidence back then. So was that like mainly, mainly pencil sort of drawings? Yeah, coloured pencil yeah. and grey lead pencil. But, so yeah. did you end up doing art in high school? 
I did, I did. Yes, I was um, very, very driven in high school. I went to quite an alternative high school where it was actually more like a university than a high school. So we were treated like adults. Um, we didn't wear a uniform. We called the teachers by their first name. We could come and go as we liked. Um, we didn't get in trouble if we didn't turn up to class. So I think it taught me from a very young age that I needed to be self-disciplined. Um, yeah, and I spent a lot of my lunch times in the art studio, just trying to, to, to develop my skill. Had a very, I've had a thirst, I had a thirst for, for learning um, how to paint, even from, yeah, from that age. So and it's something that I wanted to do from a very young age, yeah. Oh, so you knew that from an, that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, probably from about the age of 15 or 16, I knew that I wanted to be an artist. But it was sort of funny, like in high school, I was... You know, I was treated well. I was treated like a bit of the star pupil. Mm. But then at the end of high school when I applied to all my universities, I didn't get into any of them. Really? So I was absolutely devastated. Is that because what you didn't get the marks to get in? Or? No, because it, was it wasn't um, based on marks. It was all based on folio. So oh. I went to all the interviews and, you know, I was 18 years old and, for whatever reason, I just wasn't able to get into the courses that I wanted to get into. So what did you do? So I took a folio building course. I, I had the decision I could either um, be really upset and cry about it or I could build my folio up and try again the following year. So I entered into this program. They called it Year 13 in Visual Arts and it had a, a pretty large dropout rate because it was intense so one in two students end up, ended up not finishing that course oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was so tired I remember just going home every night about six o'clock and falling asleep so I haven't yeah um worked that intensely since but well I have but um at the time it felt pretty full-on um but at the end of that course I ended up applying for all the um courses that I wanted to get into and I ended up getting into everything so I had my oh. pick of what I of what I wanted. So you went to the Victorian College of the Arts? That's right, yeah. And um, how was that? <clears throat> um, it, it was my first pick. It's, it, it was a university that I really wanted to get into because it had such a, a fantastic reputation. Uh, it was a very concept-driven institution, so um, representational painting wasn't particularly wasn't considered particularly innovative. And um, I didn't, I don't remember ever doing a drawing or painting class or having any kind of tuition while I was there for the three years oh. that I was there. Um, we did have an excellent technician named Fred who I could ask any technical questions to but yeah so it was that oh. it was that kind of place oh, right. yeah so after that how did it uh, how did you get your first show well basically what happened was that I was a finalist in the Metro Art Award and I'd met an artist that was represented by Diane Tanzer Gallery and her name was Victoria Reichelt and we ended up becoming really good friends and I kind of said to Victoria, look, I really like Diane Tanzer Gallery and I'd, you know, 
what can I do to get a show? So what I ended up doing was I wrote a letter to Diane Tanza and, you know, I listed all the reasons why I liked the gallery and how I thought my work would fit into that space. Mm -hmm. And I ended up putting a CD with images of my work on it and also a CV. So I let Victoria know when I sent off that letter and then she alerted Diane to it saying there's this, you know, nice young artist who's interested in showing and, you know, you should really check out this work. And Mm -hmm. so... So it was like um, a bit of an introduction. Yeah, a bit of yeah. an introduction. So, yeah. and so she took you on. So after after I sent the letter and the package, um, she gave me a call a couple of days later, and she came around for a studio visit. And you know, I was really young at the time; I was only twenty three years old. Mm. Um, but yeah, she really liked my work and she ended up calling me back that afternoon after she'd left and said, can I represent you? Oh, great. Yeah, it's... but I didn't have my show until 2011, so it was, a, it was a while after. But So wasn't that show, that was small-scale work yeah. though, wasn't it? Yeah. So when did you start doing the small-scale? Small uh, 2010, scale? yeah. And what caused you to do that? Uh, I was interested in testing the limitations of oil paintings and quite interested in pushing the boundaries between scale and representation. I've never thought that you had to make a large painting to fully absorb the viewer. You know, I'm quite interested in that, um, the relationship between um, the work and the viewer because the work is so small you do have to get quite up close to it to view it accurately and that's creating this one-on-one and intimate relationship mm. so and it creates this unavoidable intimacy and so when you first started doing that was it <clears throat> a huge challenge did you find it difficult at first yeah it, it is difficult um, I guess the main difference is that with miniature painting you do have to be quite accurate if you're wanting to do representational painting so there's not a lot of room for error so if something's even one millimeter especially with portraiture if something's even one millimeter out it can throw the painting right out of proportion so mm. well you i would have, have to thought take even a, less yeah. than a millimeter actually yeah it does yeah so because some of your paintings like i noticed with, well with that first show um they were some of those well they were like 12 by 17 centimeters i think oh uh, yeah and they were full body portrait like sort of they full were. body yeah. so the the head would have only been like one centimetre, really, yeah. wouldn't it? Or maybe one to two centimetres? So, yeah, that, you could probably describe the head about um, the size of a 10-cent coin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, they, yeah, they're very very small. Yeah. <laughs> so it takes a I lot just... of patience and, and concentration and a yeah. steady hand and, and a lot of focus as well. And with that collection, that first show, it was a, um, a selection of different um, people were they friends of yours or? Yeah, they were, yeah. So I, I usually paint people I know quite well because I think that brings another level of intimacy into, uh, into the painting, yeah. But yeah. Um, I've, I've kind of shifted away from portraiture in the last couple of years. Well, that's yeah. right, yeah. I mean, we are going to get on to that actually. Actually, we might as well jump forward to 2015 um, 
because that year you won two prestigious prizes. So um, that was, um, of course, the Portia Geach Memorial Award, which was yep. a portrait prize um, with a self-portrait. And also, of course, your um, uh, you won the Win Prize, um, which is one of um, Australia's best-known landscape prizes. <laughs> but... <laughs> I was talking to you earlier and you were telling me that it was the first time you'd actually exhibited a landscape painting. Yes, yes it was. Yeah, so <laughs> obviously to get that phone call was was very surprising and unexpected. Yeah. So when did what what um <clears throat> what caused you to start painting landscapes? Well, I'm a I'm a big believer that if you don't evolve, you decay. Like I, I was finding that I was doing the same thing all the time and Brent, Brett Whiteley once famously said that repetition kills the spirit and, you know, I, I was just very interested in shifting focus and shifting my subject matter and I became quite interested in the way that people relate to nature, particularly in an urban context. Because as a culture, I think we're, we're busier and more work orientated than ever before. So what I'm depicting in my paintings that offer a sense of tranquility and respite from, you know, mm. the chaos of, of a major mm. developed city. So that's what I've really been interested in, in exploring that sort of duality between people and, and nature and that uh, complicated relationship so a lot of those paintings are sort of um, garden settings or nature settings within the city. That's yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, with your um, the Win Prize painting called Biophilia, that was of a an urban garden which was um, St Kilda Botanical Gardens. It had a beautiful path with sort of trees and shrubs on either side of the path, and a lovely bluish shadow coming in. Through the from the corner, um, the composition must be a really important part of these paintings because there is all this greenery in yeah. a lot of your landscapes. How do you manage to get that composition right? Well, that was um, that was actually a square format, so that's always a little bit more difficult than a rectangular format. But I spend a lot of time editing, um, so I treat. Um, Photoshop like a sketchbook essentially mm. so I have a strong correlation with um, present day working methods even though my um, painting is quite traditional in its approach so yeah my my images are edited extensively before I begin the painting so composition is obviously very important um, mm. I do a lot of uh, cropping and um, shifting of colours and tones and all oh, that kind okay. of thing. Yeah, so all, all of the experimental stuff happens um, during that process. Do you spend much time in parks and As much as I can when I'm not in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I haven't had a day off in about 30 days, but I've got my first day off this Sunday and I'm I'm going to do a photo shoot in, in Mount Macedon. So, yeah, I'm always... <laughs> Sounds like work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, can we move on to um, last year? So 2016, you combined your interest in portraiture and uh, landscape uh, with your 
incredible painting of Wendy Whiteley, which I think was a front runner to win last year, but it ended yep. up being highly commended. Yep. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. How did that painting come about? How did yeah, you Yeah, so basically at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, they do a big opening night on a Friday night for the Archibald Win in the Sulman. And then on the Saturday night, they have a special dinner in the gallery. It's, I think it's the official name is the, I don't know if it's the official name, but it's the trustees dinner. And because I, I'm not in, I'm not usually invited to that dinner, but because I won the win prize, I ended up getting an invitation. Mm. And so it that just. That was in 2015. And 15, yeah. So basically, um, I happened to be seated directly opposite Wendy Whiteley at that ah, dinner. So on one side I had Michael Brown, which is the director of the Art oh. Gallery of New South Wales, <laughs> and opposite me I had Wendy Whiteley, and I was like, thank you to the person who ever did the seating chart <laughs> that night. <laughs> so basically we got chatting and I just couldn't believe my luck because I'd spent the last sort of year or so um, concentrating on inner city gardens and here I am sitting directly opposite the most wonderful person who spent the last 20 years creating the most beautiful inner city garden mm. and I knew straight away that I wanted to paint her for the Archibald. Yeah um, and of course uh, Wendy Whiteley is uh, the former wife and muse of, of Brett Whiteley and she lives in Lavender Bay and created that magnificent garden that you depicted in that painting and in fact it's the subject of a recent book called Wendy Whiteley and the Secret Garden and um, so I presume you um, you got talking to her at that that dinner that yeah that's right um, you know I think she said to me have you seen my garden and um, it was a little bit more of a secret at that time because the Australian story episode hadn't come up and, and the book hadn't been launched at that time oh. either. And being from Melbourne, I wasn't as familiar as maybe some people from Sydney were with the garden. But it just so happened that I was also shortlisted for the Brett Whiteley Scholarship that year. So I was oh. going to be in Sydney about a month later, so I was going to have the chance to meet and talk with Wendy again. Right. So it was at that time where I think I said to her, you know, I'd really love to paint your portrait and um, come and see the garden. And, oh. and she ended up giving me her home phone. We just got along. I think we clicked straight away, even mm. though she's quite... Uh, can be quite an intimidating figure. Mm. Um, so I went there the next day and, and saw to the, the garden. House. Yeah, and yeah. saw the garden for the first time. And oh. I didn't have the intention of, of going in or knocking on the door or anything like that. But I was just so inspired and and I couldn't believe that she'd spent 20 years creating this magnificent mm. garden. And I just had to call her up and she ended up inviting me in for a cup of coffee and yeah, and we and we just we just got along. And I was gonna be in Sydney a couple of other times that year for various shows and I made a uh, 
decision, conscious decision or an effort to make sure that I met up with her each time. So mm-hmm. we got to know each other a little bit before I ended up doing the portrait. And, and I think that's really important as well to get to know your subject yeah. a little bit before you paint them. And what was that process like, um, actually getting the pose and going, I presume it was in the garden that you did that? Yeah, so I didn't I didn't go into the, um, the sitting with any distinct plan. All I knew is that I wanted her positioned in the garden and that was because of a number of reasons. The first, because I really admired her for what she'd done, like she'd given the community an incredible gift. Mm. And the second was because the garden holds so much personal significance for Wendy and it contains the ashes of Brett Whiteley and also her daughter. And the third reason was because... It reflects Wendy's personality. You know, mm. it doesn't conform to any particular style. It's very, it's very unique, and mm. it just represents her as a person. So it was very important to to capture her in that space. And I also didn't pose Wendy at all. It was very important for me to create an authentic portrait and to, you know, because every great port- portrait captures the essence of the person it's not just about making a, a, a representation of the person's facial features or, or whatever so it was imp- very important to capture her natural demeanor and mm. not pose her in any particular and way. And how did you do that? It was funny actually because she was very generous with her time so we spent about four or five hours in the garden together and we were constantly interrupted because people were always coming over and having a chat and yeah you know, Wendy's the kind of person as well that will never sit still like she was constantly pulling out weeds and um, talking <laughs> and you know <laughs> so um we, we, we were in the garden for, for quite a long time and and I'd actually declared the sitting over and um <laughs> We ended up just we ended up just staying there for a little while longer, and I just said to her, "Oh, can, maybe we'll just try one more thing." And that's when the magic happened. That's what was the um, oh, the final result came came in in those last sort of yeah. ten minutes. Well, it does. It, she does look. Well, I don't know her, but it does look a very natural pose. Yeah, I think because yeah. I caught I caught her off guard. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to enter the Archibald again this year. Um, no, I don't think I will. Um, I've been a finalist five times now, so I think I'm waiting for another great subject to come along. And, you know, I, ne- I, ne- I never want it to feel forced. Mm. Um, mm. And, yeah, I think it's really important to paint someone that you yourself really admire and want to get to know. And the Archibald is such a great excuse to get to know someone that you might not meet elsewhere. Mm. Um, uh, so did you find it quite full on last year? Because your, your painting did get a lot of attention last year. Um, was that, what is that like, getting a lot of media attention? Yeah, well, it, it was kind of funny because somehow the Sydney Morning Herald found out that I was painting Wendy Whiteley 
before I'd even entered it into the prize. So they asked me to do like a big article um, before I even found out that I was a finalist. So right from the get-go, we had a lot of attention and I think that was because I painted such a, you know, cultural icon and Mm. someone who's, you know, loved by the Sydney community. Also, actually, this is skipping around a bit, but... I'm just looking now, you're working recently on a fantastic format where you're going from last year where you had like an iPhone size dye bond, you're now working on a huge piece of dye bond, which I'm not sure what the dimensions are. What are those dimensions? Uh, it's 125 centimetres by 83 centimetres. Right. And then, but keeping, of course, the very small scale painting yep. right in the middle of that work. Yeah. Um, so what are you what are you aiming to achieve with that? Because it's quite a reflective surface, the dye. It is. Um, so this body of work is an extension of my last body of work, but as you said, the format has changed. Um, and the idea was to create a work that was very intimate, but also quite monumental at the same time, and finding that nexus between those two mm. opposing elements. Um, but the interesting thing about these works is that the viewer's reflection will be seen in the work. So the viewer actually becomes part of the work. So wherever the paint, the artwork is positioned, um, it will change, the, the reflection will change. So mm. I think that is, will create an interesting dynamic. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think it, I've never seen anything like it. It's fantastic to have this beautiful image right in the middle of this sleek sort of surface it's fantastic great idea yeah. it's um yeah and it's it's on a it's on a um like a gold mirror so it has sort of a glow and a warmth to it as well mm-hmm. so can we talk a little bit about um your process yeah sure uh, that would be great because i find it absolutely fascinating um when you so we've already talked about gessoing the surface. So you have to, you you've got to make sure it's an ex, extremely smooth. Yeah. So I usually use about six layers of gesso, and I sand very lightly between each layer to get an ultimately smooth surface. So I don't want any texture in there whatsoever. And then it's a very slow and traditional process of building layer upon layer upon layer adding a little bit more information within each layer because oil paint is essentially transparent um, in that the oil paint reflects light. So uh, it, it needs to be built up over time to create this kind of... Um, so how many layers would you say <laughs> on average? <laughs> uh, it's, it's usually about six to seven layers wow. of paint on one painting. Wow. Yeah. So, when, so when you are deciding, so, so would that mean that the, the first layer would be just blocks of colour more or less? Or are you starting to go in with the detail quite I, early I try, on? I try and go in with the detail, but... You can't get it in all in the first couple of layers because all the paint kind of uh, blends together so you don't get your highlights and your shadows in the first couple of layers. So they, they come in at the, the last couple of layers. So, yeah, it's, it's a long process and I usually wait 
about a week in between each each layer. Oh, is that to make sure it's completely dry? Yeah, because otherwise cracking can occur. Right. Especially with painting on this aluminium or dye bond surface because it doesn't sink into the canvas because there's no canvas for it to sink into. The oil paints uh, sort of just um, is left on top. Mm. It just sits on top of the surface, so it takes a little bit longer to dry. Oh, I see. Mm. And with um, with colour, uh, because you've got a lot of green in these these paintings, which is really interesting because you've got so many different greens. And in fact, I saw <laughs> your palette, and you've got lots of different greens. Do you um, do you mix all of those before you start? Um, yeah, so at the start of the day when I come into the studio, I usually mix about 40 different colours. 40? Yeah. <laughs> um, what, are they mainly greens? Mainly greens and then yeah. browns and golden colours and depending what's in the landscape, some blues, um, some reds. Um, yeah, it depends on, on what I'm painting. Um but then basically I'll jump in between those 40 different colours that I've already mixed right. up. Um, yeah, so that, that usually takes about half an hour at the start of the day um, and it creates much more of a fluid process. Um, and usually after about five hours I'll have to remix some of the dark colours because they start to dry and become yeah. a little bit sticky. Yeah. When you darken a green... Because um, I remember learning once that you add red. Actually, I make my black that way. So I oh. use like a viridian green and a alizarin red yeah. to make the black. And that's a much nicer black than what you can get out of a tube. Yes. So yeah. in the shadows, you would use that more than... That would be... I don't mix that in with the colours because then it will muddy. Um, but that would be... the. It comes out quite a black black. So that's what I would use as a solid black. Right. Yeah. And would you, so when you mix your 40 colours, would you be sort of getting a green and then adding a yellow to get it? Yeah, I, I, I actually only have about um, 10 base colours that I would use to create those 40 colours. So I don't have a very extensive palette. I just have a couple of like a warm red, a cool red, warm blue, cool blue, um, warm green, cool green, that kind of thing. Oh, so I it's see. a pretty basic palette that I'll just use to mix up um, yeah. Yeah, a variety of colours that way. And so, okay, now we've got to go to the topic, which is probably most interesting for people, is your brushes. Uh, I was wondering <laughs> when you were going to bring thought, that up. Why? <laughs> to the brushes yet so obviously you have to use very small brushes do yep. you use small brushes from right from the beginning like or do they get do they get smaller as you as you build up the layers uh, or I've got a variety of brushes in different shapes and different sizes um, they are small right from the beginning the smallest brush that I have is a 20 zero so if you think of a zero being about the size of a match head the 20 zero is a 20th of a match head. So it's a, it's a script style brush and it's perfect for um, creating very accurate marks. Um, in my first couple of miniature paintings, I experimented using pins and needles and that kind of thing. 
but I felt that I was able to do the same thing with just the tiny brushes. I was able to um, have control of the brushes. Do you get a sore hand? I mean, no, because, no, no. Um, people often ask me what my eyesight's like or whether I use a magnifying glass, which I don't, um, which comes to surprise of a lot of people. Mm. But um, generally, uh, it's quite physical, the work, though. So um, if I sit down when I'm working, I tend to hunch over quite a lot. So at the end of the day, I might have quite a lot of neck pain and back pain. Mm. Um, but with these new works that I'm doing, I've I'm standing up, so that's been a lot better for for dealing with with those issues. Um, one another thing that I that I ask a lot of artists is is if they have a routine that they follow during the day, or if if, if you follow a pattern each day, yeah. is that what you do? Yeah, I do. I'm pretty regimented in my studio routine. Yeah. Um, that's the way I work best, I think. Um, so my alarm goes off at about 7am. Um, I try to go for a walk or a run before I get to the studio. I just feel that it clears my mind and gets me ready for the day ahead. Mm. Um, especially if I've got a lot of work to do and I'm, you know, trying to fulfill deadlines and that kind of thing. I think exercise is really important Mm. um so I come into the studio about 9am um I don't take a lot of breaks when I'm working basically five minutes for lunch really Really? so you'll go for a few hours oh non-stop several hours yeah so I'll go five minute lunch break (laughs) (laughs) is that just because you're so driven that you just want to keep going yeah and um I just, that's just how I work. That's, you know, I'm, I've, I've always got a lot on my plate and, you know, it's because I can only produce so many paintings a year, you know, I'm always having to, to make work for shows and always running on deadlines and um, that's just that's just how I work. Well, and yeah. also they take, you were saying to me that these works, you've got a few going at the moment, but they've taken up to three months, is that right? Yeah, they can take, you know, between, they usually take between six and seven weeks to produce each one, so, oh, yeah. So I can see why you only take five minutes off for lunch. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like I just eat and then I just like go straight back to it. I just, it's not even a conscious decision. I just, that's just how I work and yeah. that's just how I operate and, you know, I usually have a coffee break in the afternoon and I'm usually in the studio till about six or seven um so from nine in the morning to about six or seven yeah it's a long day yeah and then I'm usually doing my emails and stuff on the train home if if I can um so you you got representation from a gallery from an early age uh do you have any advice for people starting out as to how they might go about sort of getting their career started I think the number one advice I could give would be that you have to work hard. You know, you've either got that drive and that passion to create or you don't. Um, So that would be the number one thing. Um, Take opportunities when they come to you, um, even if they scare you. um, Mm. Say yes and then you can worry about it later. Um, Mm. Do you um, use social media much? Um, I 
I use it more as a website, so I'll post more so finished paintings and mm. and that kind of thing. Um, I love the actually. You can also put shots for you. I love those shots that you've got on your Instagram where you're holding a painting, mm. and that and you get such a good you know, sense of the scale yeah. that way, which is not as easy to do on a website. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. Instagram is more informal like yeah. that. Yeah. It's such a different experience seeing my paintings in the flesh as opposed to oh, the digital yeah. image. So oh, yeah, doing those scale shots are really important to give an idea of what the actual painting looks like. Because yeah. otherwise you can just not get that sense No, not at all. Scale. And also even that doesn't give you a sense of what I'm looking at today yeah, in the studio. Yeah, it's completely you different. You have to see it in the flesh yeah. because it really is so phenomenal because I think also when you get up close and you can actually see the layer of paint, you know, that fine highlight or whatever, it is so uh, exquisite. Oh, thank you, know? you. It really is. I just love looking at your work thank because, you. actually, I meant to say this earlier, it is not easy. That is really, really hard what you're doing and there aren't many people who can do it. And um, it's a technique that, that obviously has taken years to, you know, perfect and you're a master at it. So congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you, Maria. That's lovely to say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it has been fantastic meeting you, Natasha. Thank you oh. so much for having me in your studio. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I also really admire what you're doing. You're doing a wonderful thing for the art community and we need more people like you. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Natasha. She'll be exhibiting new work at Sydney Contemporary in a group show curated by Diane Tanza and This Is No Fantasy, and that opens in September 2017. I'll be posting a short video of Natasha in her studio on the Talking With Painters YouTube channel in a few days, so watch out for that. Just search Talking With Painters on YouTube and the playlist will appear. It uh, also includes many other short videos, most about three minutes long, of many of my previous guests. You can also follow the show on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you haven't already, download the show on your podcast app, on your phone or other device or subscribe on iTunes so you automatically get a download of the next show as soon as I've uploaded it. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. You know, being being in this art world or this industry, it's so it's so full of ups and downs and you have your moments where you experience accolades and then, you know, there'll there'll be periods where nothing's really happening and Yeah. Yeah, so it's so up and down. So I I learned that from from early on as well.